You're listening to a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network production. Run It Again is an inside look at the players, the coaches, and the business of sports with former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. And two minutes later, I was back in the same Oklahoma drill that I got the concussion from. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on turf, Coach Mike Marks. And we want to force him into a vanilla defense and go to work. Run It Again is a hard-hitting, no BS podcast that connects you directly to the source. This is Run It Again. Welcome to Run It Again. Now, here's Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. Hey, everybody. I'm Ron Pitts. And today with my co-host, Mike Martz, here on Run It Again, we had the opportunity to visit with former president and executive director of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Mr. David Baker. Here's our conversation as we discuss David's role at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, along with his retirement announcement, plus the Kurt Warner movie, American Underdog that features the special relationship between Kurt Warner and my co-host, Coach Mike Mark. You just, uh, uh, you know, you come off as a real softy in the end. You got to start hard, but you come across as the, uh, uh, you know, the guy who builds the confidence and makes it happen in the end. Well, that's kind of what happened. Uh, yeah. I was really hard on him for a long time because he had a chance to be in the starter and we had to know if he could do it or not, you know. Yeah, I understand. You know, he was uh, special to me. He, being commissioner of the Arena Football League for 12 years, uh, it was fun to do that. And, uh, you know, I think I was screaming even louder than you at uh, Super Bowl 34. <laughs> That's quite a move from Mayor of Irvine to the Arena League. How'd you do that? Oh, you know what? I, I I made the mistake of buying an Arena Football team. <laughs> right. That's right. I, that's right. You did, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I... Uh, uh, you know, my first meeting, they wanted to get rid of the commissioner and, you know, I didn't hardly said a word and I had to leave early cause I promised to make a speech. And, uh, after I left, they voted me president of the league. <laughs> and, and, and I thought, how did this happen? And yeah. what I learned, I learned a great lesson in sports about this because the lesson is, you know, it wasn't that they thought I was so great. It was that they disliked each other so much they couldn't <laughs> take a chance on the new guy. <laughs> you know, then you know, you know, yeah. then take a chance on one of the other. But it was <laughs> it was fun and it was a great game. And uh, you know, what you saw in Kurt and did such a great job. Uh, and there was a ton at one point in time, probably two thirds of the league officials had come from Arena Football. You know, it is a I didn't know that. It's a quick, fast game. Yeah. And uh, for the kind of offense you had, it was spectacular. But uh, it, it, it was fun. I enjoyed it while I did it. Well, what's on the docket for you now that you're retiring? By the way, congratulations on your retirement. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, thanks. You know, I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, it's it's been uh, every day, you know, 24 hours a day for eight years. And uh, I've got 10 grandkids and we're expecting our Oh wow! Uh, great grandson out here in California. Oh wow! Congratulations! And, and uh, Colleen was going back and forth, and and uh, you know, you know, I, I hate it when she was gone. It was great for the first day or two after Colleen was gone from Canton. It was great because I had the remote control. But after that, you know, it was uh, it was hard. So it, it, it'll be good, and I think there's some fun stuff in uh, you know ahead, and I. I wanted to, uh, I've got another business that I haven't spent enough time on with some great partners and uh, we build integrated health villages. We've got 178 acre one out in Henderson, Nevada. 
And I just know there's some things I needed to do both personally and professionally um, kind of before it was too late. Yeah. Well, I don't blame you. That sounds exciting for you. Yeah. Hey, David, I'm just curious uh, when, when you took over as president and, and executive director with the hall of fame, um, what were your future visions of the hall? Because I know since your time there, there's been a lot of improvements to the building, to the structure, to the, you know, how the organization runs things, but just give us an idea briefly what, what you had in your mind looking yeah, forward. You know, uh, I, I appreciate that. I, I think that uh, when I first got there, I wanted to build a hotel next to the hall. And, and then the concept was that it would have a conference center. And, and then this concept of all the stuff that came around it, but we needed a new stadium. The stadium that was there was 80 years old. Yeah. Uh, you know, Fawcett Field. And uh, yeah, did, did, I don't know, did you ever get a chance to play in that stadium? Yeah, the yeah we game? coached there in uh, 01, I think. We had played the Dolphins there. Yeah. yeah. I, I think they made guys change clothes in the gymnasium next door. We, we actually changed at the hotel at the hotel. We didn't. Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't, they didn't have room for us at the stadium. <laughs> and, and, and so it was, if you're going to keep that game to kick off every season, which I think is very special and should happen where the game itself began. Uh, you know, this year was a great example after COVID we had the first full stadium for football in over 18 months. Oh, wow. And I'd like to think that helped this incredible season that we've had now get off to a great start. But, um, you know, we were fortunate to build Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium, which is a spectacular state-of-the-art small venue NFL stadium in every way, except that it's, you know, 23,000 seats instead of, you know, 65 or 70,000 seats. That's beautiful. Um, but there was also other things that came along the way. We have a uh, – a, um, the good people of Canton raised $12 million, not the NFL, but the good people of Canton. And uh, they built a park downtown called Centennial Plaza. And it's to commemorate the first hundred years of the NFL. So there's player pylons down there for every decade. Oh, wow. And uh, for instance, your name is on those pylons, uh, you know, for all 25,474 guys who played in the first century of the NFL, their name is on that pylon. Uh, we also started the Personal Player Legacy Archive, which uh, is, uh, is you know, every guy who has a bronze bust, 354 of them, uh, you know, are in there. But for those who don't have a bronze bust, if you played a week at, in the National Football League, we have an archive. So, you know, for somebody who has a more illustrious career like you guys, we can take that um, archive, we can pull it for you, we can show you what's in it, what we have, you can add to it so that we can guard your legacy as well. I, wow. you know, one, one of the things hmm. that I really get excited about is the Black College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, so many of these guys, to have a place like this, when, and this happened, you know, a couple of years before the George Floyd deal, but one of the things I've enjoyed with all of our Hall of Famers uh, especially the older guys is I got to know them as you guys have did some, some cutting edge things on race that the rest of America needs to catch up to. Uh, once you got in that locker room, it was not about your color. It was about your team and you, there had to be hard discussions and there had to be, uh, you know, difficult challenges when the AFL, uh, you know, moved their, all-star game, if you remember, I think, what was that, 63, something like that at the last moment. Hmm. Uh, 
uh, you know, to Houston. Uh, it was Jack Kemp, a white guy that, you know, that led that effort. And, and there's been so much stuff that when you're in that locker room, you guys know it, you've seen it. The unspoken truth is that if you trust each other, that cuts off milliseconds from your execution. And if all those milliseconds add up, you can get a touchdown on, on offense like Coach Martz, or you can get a turnover on defense. That trust has to be earned. And, and, and there is love in that locker room. Uh, we do a deal at, uh, you know, that is the Ray Nitschke luncheon uh, that only gold jackets can come into on Friday if you try to uh, but those guys come back for the love that they feel there for each other. And so I, I, all those things were things. But to me, if, if I could share with you, um, it wasn't just about the great game of football as entertainment or about the hero worship of guys who uh, play it. Uh, for me, it's about the values of the game and the lessons that the game teaches. And not just for guys who get paid for it but for high school kids and youth football kids that grew up to be firemen and police officers and soldiers and teachers and preachers. Uh, my mom and dad couldn't read or write. And if it wasn't for sports, I would have never gone to college. Uh, and because of that would have never gone to law school. And, and I think that there's a lot of us who have raised by coaches who we, we weren't their kids, but they loved us anyways. And they taught us how to, you know, get up when you get knocked down and, and how to go on when you don't think you can go on. And, you know, respectfully, I get in a little trouble for this because I'm thankful for all of our great educators out there. But um, I've still yet to find anybody who goes back to their calculus teacher or their uh, chemistry teacher when their marriage is on the line or their, their business uh, or they've got a healthcare crisis. But I'll tell you, and coach, I know you've seen this they all come back to their coach. They do. They, they do. If, you know, we, we, I talked to Ryan about this, uh, coaching football was only part of what I did as a head coach and, and years yeah. afterwards too. And the phone calls you get all the time and the discussions you have are, are very, very deep and very meaningful. And you don't realize there's a coach impact you have and, or the opportunities that are there, you know, and, and what they take from it. So it's, uh, from a coaching standpoint, you have a great opportunity to impact somebody's life other than just what people think is, is winning and the money and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's way more than that. Well, and, and that comes across an American underdog in a big way. I think, I think you're going to enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, you know, when that comes out at Christmas time, yeah. uh, you know, this may be the start of a whole new career for you, coach. <laughs> hey, David, we're going to, we're going to make sure that happens. I agree 100%. Ron Pitts, Mike Martz, we're here with the Hall of Fame president and executive director, David Baker. David, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with us here. I, a lot of people identify with you as the guy that makes that knock at the door, you know, that yeah. moment. That's become really big. Two questions. When did that become a thing? I mean, when did that and how did it become a thing? And what is the criteria um, for people to get into the hall. I mean, we know, okay, great players, great coaches, uh, great administrative people. We get that, but there's gotta be more to it than that. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the first question. Yeah. You know, my, my, my first year, eight years ago, uh, Super Bowl's in New York. We have our meeting on selection Saturday and uh, you know, I open up the envelope and we had brought all the 18 finalists into New York 
So generally there's four to eight that make it every year. So let's say that year, I think there was eight. So 10 guys, you know, get disappointed and, and, and please understand, we hate disappointing these guys. Yeah, we no never question. want to disrespect them. Uh, if you're a finalist, you're one of the, um, you know, top thousand players to ever play in the history of this game of the more than 330 million that have played it. Yeah. You know, so if you're a finalist, you're still doing pretty good, but they are the most competitive guys in the world. And so, you know, if they got brought to New York, they want to know that they made it into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and we were going to take them over to uh, Radio City Music Hall. And uh, so I, at that time, we called them. And I called uh, Michael Strahan because he lived in New York and there's traffic. we got to get him to the other side of town. Uh, then I called Derek Brooks because I knew Derek from Arena Football. I considered him a friend. And I wanted to just call my buddy and give him good news. Yeah. Uh, the third one was the punter, Ray Guy. Right, uh, yeah. from the Oakland Raiders. He had been eligible uh, 29 years and never had his name called. And uh, he almost didn't answer because I'm married to Coach 714 from Orange County instead of 330, but thank God he did. And uh, I said, Ray, uh, this is Dave Baker. I'm the new president of the hall. And he said, yes, sir. He's got this slow Southern Mississippi drawl. And I said, it is my great pleasure. And boom. Uh, I could hear him fall to the floor and his phone is rattling around and his wife, Sandy is going, honey, baby, are you okay? Sweetheart, are you right? <laughs> and it was like two minutes. And I thought I, I thought I'd killed my first Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it took two minutes for him to get up, which as you know, in media is a long time. Yeah. And, uh, and he got up and he said, Hey, I'm sorry. I I'm not sure I understood until now how much this meant to me. Wow. And we knew then that we had to start this journey of, it, it's not Dave Baker knocking on the door, a carrier pitcher to do my job. I essentially do three things, which is, uh, you know, I, I would, you know, say welcome to Canton because that's where every football player wants to end their career. I would say thank you for all you've done uh, for the game and all you're going, going to do for the game. And then I promise them that we will guard their legacy forever in Canton, Ohio. But at that moment, when we started knocking on doors, and, and you've seen, I'm sure, a lot of them, when we walked on the set for Bill Cower or uh, at Fox for Jimmy Johnson, uh, you know, these are, these are pretty hard guys. They're, they're, they're true men. Uh, but that moment, it's like being wrapped in every memory of your career. Uh, it is, you know... Uh, I think you both know Jimmy Johnson pretty well. And, uh, you know, you can be a, uh, you know, confident, irreverent guy sometimes. Uh, but I'll tell you, at that moment, uh, he couldn't breathe. And every, mm. most all of them have tears in their eyes. Yeah. And, and, and I guarantee you that Jimmy was thinking about his mom. I guarantee you. Uh, driving him to practice when he's 10 years old. Um I guarantee you that others are thinking about their dad or their mom, their coach who wouldn't let them quit uh, or their teammates that helped get them there. And, and it is a, a spectacular, humbling thing to see uh, because it's all about their journey. And, and, and at this moment, it's manifested in their legacy. Uh, but 
you know, Brett Favre or Peyton Manning, those guys took 10 seconds to be selected, to be quite honest with you. Uh, when I got up on that morning, I knew I was going to knock on their door. They knew I was going to knock on their door. But, you know, in Peyton's case, uh, because of COVID, we had to go to them. Uh, you know, when we did it at Mile High, we had every coach that had ever coached him from youth football to high school to college to the NFL. And that meant so much to him. And at that moment, when you are talking to him, Ron, you know, um, you're not talking to this polished 45-year-old veteran uh, marketing maven. <laughs> you know, at that moment, when you're telling him that, quite honestly, you're talking to that 10-year-old kid that started the journey. Uh, in Peyton's yeah. case, with his dad, with the New Orleans Saints. And uh, I'll always remember Brett, uh, you know, uh, I mean, Brett's a, a confident, tough, competitive guy. Uh, but when I told him at that point, he was one of the 302 best players, coaches, and contributors in the history of the game. He put his hands in his pocket like a little kid, and he hung his head in humility and said, thank you very much. Thank you. And you just, I, I just knew this guy knows the shoulders of all he stands upon. It wasn't about him at that point. And then we, we take him over to the honor show. And, and you may have been there when this happens at some of the honor show. They bring him out right at the high point in the middle of the show. And the guys who have the gold jackets in the audience, they come up and they shake their hand and they welcome him into this fraternity. And then after that, there's a press conference like the many you've been to, but there's hundred cameras out there and I kind of administer the conference. So Brett is sitting, uh, we're both sitting on kind of bar stools next to each other. And as we're waiting to get started, I said, how are you doing? And he goes, are you kidding? He goes, I just shook the hand at Roger Staubach. And, and I kind of laughed and because yeah, I know how you guys get into golf tournaments. I thought they would have met along the way or something, and, but he stopped me and he says, no, you don't understand. All my life, I dreamed of being Roger Staubach. And then he paused for a second. You could see the recognition hit his eyes. And he goes, hey, I guess I'm on his team now, right? Yeah, right. And I, and I said, you're <laughs> on his team forever. Yeah. And so that's a little bit about how that evolved. And, and I don't know where it goes now. Um, you know, the only doors I'm going to be knocking on are Wendy's, McDonald's, and Burger King. <laughs> and uh, But I, I do think it is important that I know the hall will show the emotions because you guys both have incredible journeys and, and you have an incredible legacy, not just of wins and losses and stats, but of lives. And that's what I've loved about this moment more than anything else. It's, you know, Ron, and I'll get to your second question in a, in no, a second, but this is really important if, if you don't mind. Um, it's more than being a football hero. Uh, you guys persevered. Every guy who played in this league thinks about quitting at one time or another. Uh, and you persevered and you, you know, you, Lombardi once had a great phrase. He said, you'll never achieve perfection. But if you relentlessly chase perfection, you might just capture excellence. Yeah. And, and excellence in our business of football, you know, it's not perfect. It is. It's not coming out of your nose, blood coming out of your mouth. It is. You know, you, you never, the only play you ever play healthy the entire season is the first play. 
And the rest of the time you're playing with pain. And, and it's a lot about what you have to overcome. And, and I believe that for the rest of us out there that don't play in the NFL, um, there's lessons that we can learn from you. Uh, we all think you fell out of bed great, that it is merely because you are bigger, faster, stronger, quicker. But in reality, it is because you are more determined, because you have a committed heart, because you trust others and get them to trust you, and you drag people to greatness with you. And like I said, you know, that is something that can make us all better um, fathers and, and mothers and, and a better community or, or better companies. And it certainly is how, uh, pardon my language, can make us a better country, especially now. And, and so I think, I think there's a lot to learn from you guys. And, and, and as I got to know so many of my Hall of Famers, um, you know, some of them are a little uncomfortable with the hero worship and the other stuff. And, mm. and, and yet they understand that they fought for it, that they earned it. Uh, that, uh, you know, they care so much about their teammates to this day. Uh, I'm convinced that a guy like Eddie DeBartolo as an owner is in the Hall of Fame for one reason, and that's how much he cared about his guys. And, and those are all things. Excuse me for saying this. I'm a little emotional as I leave this. This has been the greatest job in the world. But it's also something that rest, the rest of America needs to see. Uh, it's not just football. And, and, and by the way, it's, you can learn a lot of lessons from other sports as well. But I think it is an incredible experiment. Uh, the great Bill Curry once said that football is the only sport where every player needs every teammate on every play just to survive. And I think that's true as a sport, but it's not true of life. If you're in a, a battle in Afghanistan, you need the other guys on every second. If you're raising a family um, who has financial issues or is a black family in a largely white area, man, you need each other. So I just think, uh, Listen, I, I have, I came to this job with that kind of respect uh, for the game and the, those who built this game. I leave it with even more. Those are heartfelt, wow. that's a heartfelt message and, and well received, by the way. You did a great job there uh, uh, communicating uh, how this game, what this game really is. I appreciate that, David. Uh, I, I believe I how players see that too. I really do. I think players that make the impact on each other's lives and rely on each other. I think it, you verbalize it beautifully. I think it's really good. Coach, I, I had a, uh, I have two sons that played football. One played for a while at Duke when they were losing 22 straight and had the record. And I had a, have another son who played for Pete Carroll and was a three-time All-American at USC when they were won 35 straight and had that record. Yeah. But the really cool thing was both those guys were learning the same lessons. Yeah, no question. And, and respectfully, if they moved next door to either one of you, you'd have a good neighbor. Yeah. And, and yeah. but I, but I, I do know how hard it was for my son in the NFL to leave the game, uh, to leave, you know, not just a support system of every having so much done for you, but having people care about your every success, and being tied to other guys who you cared about, and. You know, sometimes I think because the game has been so successful and there's a lot of money in it, uh, unintentionally there's this media message that you're just football. Yeah, right. You're, you're just a football coach or you're just right. a football player. 
And let me tell you, I, you know, Coach, I know you a little bit well, and Ron, we've met. Uh, but I'll tell you right now, you have a doctorate in commitment. You have a doctorate in courage. You have a, 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 uh, a master's in team science of helping disparate people come together to make a team. And that is so valuable, and it's what America needs right now. Uh, it, it's what we need racially. It's what we need politically. Uh, and and uh, listen, I just you know I know I'm pounded hard on this, and uh, you know, but I have such respect for the guys who built this league, and, and I've had the privilege of being with guys like Charlie Trippy, who's a Hall of Famer, who's 98 years old. And by the way, let me. While I'm doing this, let me kind of just, while I'm on a roll, I guess, uh, let me just say one other thing. Uh, You know, when I got to this job, I was concerned about my boys who were offensive linemen. And, um, you know, the the myth out there was that they were going to die at 55 and have dementia. And let me tell you, nothing could be farther from the truth. We need to be concerned about brain injuries and all health for our players. But let me tell you, uh, you know, I think the game is safer than it's ever been right now uh, because of a lot of courageous people that want to make sure it's safe. Um, it is still a challenging game. But, um, you know, one of the things I never thought I'd be doing when I came to the hall was speaking or officiating at a funeral. And all of a sudden, I'm doing Chuck Bendark's funeral. Uh, mm-hmm. My hero when I was growing up, to show my age was Bart Starr. I mean, I just thought there was no better quarterback and no better man than Bart Starr. When I came to the hall, 10 minutes after I got there, I got this call. Secretary says, Bart Starr is calling. And he was wishing himself uh, at his funeral, um, being one of the three people to speak at his funeral. And, um, when you look at that, you it is deeper level than just who wins and loses in a game. And those games are very important. But it's about who wins and loses in life and who you touch and who you change. And again, we have so many guys uh, who, who have changed the game, changed the region, changed recently. And, and, and again, I would also say these guys at the Black College Football Hall of Fame, they, that's a real special group. I had the privilege of addressing both uh, Grambling, and I'm supposed to speak at the graduation this year for Grambling, uh, and, and the young kids at um, Tennessee State, where Eddie George is now the coach. Uh, and, and I got to tell you, uh, it, it, much like you've experienced coach at some of your position meetings, I'm sure, or when, as a head coach, and these guys are focused. You could hear a pin drop in that room. And I'm looking out at all these guys. Uh, and, uh, and and I hear a lot from employers that they can't find good people to work for them. Or in terms of diversity, that they can't find, you know, good people of color. Uh, and let me tell you, they're not looking in the right places. Because <laughs> these are, uh, you know, good, disciplined, smart, intelligent young black guys. And again, I think that's what you produce for anybody who plays this game, regardless of their color. So these are such good lessons. And I think there's so much to be proud of of the game. And again, I think 
I think you guys, I, I'm excited about you doing this podcast, but I'm excited about the other stuff you can do. Um, you know, Coach, I mentioned, you know, Kurt's movie, and uh, you know, I'm a big Kurt Warner fan and a big Brenda Warner fan. Um, but you're going to come across real good in that movie in the end. Maybe not so much at the beginning, okay? <laughs> but you're going to come across really good in the end. And by the way, so does Dick Vermeil. But um, who... who is a finalist for the Hall of Fame this year, and I'm excited about that. But I'll tell you, the kind of moment you had with Kurt, and I'm sure you probably know what moment that was, is the kind of moment that everybody wants in their life. And everybody's not going to get to play in the NFL or have a coach that cares about them like you do. But they can all have somebody, or they can all care about somebody else like that. So to me, you know, that's the great benefit of being at the Hall of Fame. It's it's more than a museum. To me, it's its message of excellence. Uh, it's this message of unity and inclusion and, um, and, and heartfelt love. It, it, again, the reason that it is hard for players and coaches to leave this game is because they love the game and they love the ones they played and coached with. That never goes away, does it, David? It just never goes away. That uh, those feelings for each other. You know, I was, I was able to witness. Uh, I guess in the front row, the transformation occurred, and uh, you know what he had inside of him. Um, he just, you know, it's like that dummy. You just keep knocking it down, just right back up there, you know. And it, yeah. you go through what he did and had success he had it was remarkable. It was a, uh, it was pretty special to witness that. Yeah, and again, I think I don't think fans truly – again, we think that a great quarterback has a great arm. <laughs> and they don't understand all the psyche, the intelligence, the, uh, the confidence, the positive attitude, the – you know, I'm, I'm talking one day to Aeneas Williams, who's a defensive back at the Hall of Fame. Aeneas is also a pastor in Ferguson, Missouri, and uh, dealing with a lot of racial issues there. And I asked him, what's the greatest thing he ever, most important thing he needed to know? You know, and his response was, I needed to learn how to forget. If I got burned, I had to immediately forget that I got burned because I got to come back on the next play and do that. And he said, what I've learned in life is there's people who not only can't forget, but they can't forgive. They can't forgive themselves. They can't forgive right. others. And he said, that's holding them back. And that's what I'm dealing with now. And again, I think there's so many issues like that, that things that you did to make, you know, with Kurt and the story that they're going to see is that there's probably more failure to get to success than there is success. No question. But, but, but if you don't fight for it, if you don't forgive yourself, if you don't want it, it doesn't happen. And it, but it doesn't happen. I thought it was just such a wonderful message. And by the way, let's remember you guys won a, uh, um, Super Bowl 34 by one yard. You know, that last play where, you know, where the tackle was made, you made it by one yard. And that journey was so incredible. I mean, there were so many scores in it and stuff like that. But I, I really have high hopes that uh, this movie will resurrect a great story about a great team and um, all the things that you guys have done. Uh, I, I just think, again, I think you – I encourage you in this podcast. I encourage you in what you can do. It's a uh, football is an incredible platform, uh, but it is a great way to reach people on something that is more important than football. David, 
Thank you so much. I've got plenty of other questions. I know Mike does too, but we got to let you go. We've kept you longer than we, than we promised, but uh, we appreciate it. And uh, maybe we can do this again sometime and, and, and really get into it. <laughs> Anytime guys. I, I, I appreciate it. appreciate and just want you to know, uh, you know, it's been a great opportunity as president of the hall of fame um, to be a guardian of the game's history because I get to say to real, genuine, sincere, outstanding people like the two of you uh, to say thank you for all you've done for the game and all you continue to do through the game. Uh, thank you, guys. God bless you, okay? Thanks right. so much, David. David Baker, Hall of Fame president, executive director. Boy, giving us, uh, giving us a, a, a lot, a lot of insight on uh, something that's been a part of our lives for a long time. So you've heard it right here on Run It Again. Ron Pitts, Mike Marks. Mike, what's up, man? How you doing? Good, Ryan. That was a good start yes, by David yes, Baker. Yes, that's wasn't right. It? Mr. David Baker of the NFL Hall of Fame, soon to be retiring. Boy, it was great for him to uh, stop by our podcast and, and share a couple thoughts with us. He was excellent. You know, he's really taken that. When you look at the Hall of Fame in the last 20 years or so, each year it's just gotten so much better in the production part yeah. of it and the organization. Of it. And I've had the opportunity to go back about five times, you know, guys being inducted and it's gotten better yeah. every time. He's really yeah. doing a good job of it. Hey, listen, uh, let's let's uh, jump into <laughs> this Monday night game here. Good old Buff, Buffalo and New England. Boy, that was that was a clinic in so many words, wasn't it? It was. You know, the the thing that uh, obviously New England looked at, Belichick looked at uh, Buffalo and their inability to stop the run against good running teams, yeah. and they just stayed with it. They didn't take any chances. They just were convinced they just chunk, chunk, chunk it along. And, and they felt like they couldn't protect that. They could get after, um, you know, uh, Buffalo's quarterback and their offensive line really struggled against the pass rush and the down yeah. four. So it worked out. The only thing that I would say is that's misleading is they, they missed an easy field goal with it because of the wind in the fourth right. quarter. And when they got down there again, they got down there in the fourth quarter, twice the 10 yard line. They didn't get any points. Yeah. And they kicked field goals both times down there. They win the game. Right. So that's – but they missed the first one, so they got to score the touchdown, yeah. of course. So, But it was uh, – I don't know that I've ever seen a team that patient with a running game just staying with it. But they it, – they, it, it really should have cost them because of those field goals, but didn't they? He was very smart. 222 net yards rushing for the Patriots. And I, I had to look twice at the passing stat at the end of the game because I thought it was a typo. Matt Jones, two of three for 19 yards and an 84 quarterback rating. Pretty efficient. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the quarterback could have probably played cards all week for that game. He'd have to do a lot. You, you know what? Like, I, I caught punts in that stadium. Okay. I, and I, I've seen the win much worse than that. Much worse, believe it or not. And you have too. And, you, you know, the, I was going back to that play with Nikhil Harry, where uh, the ball grazed his uh, helmet. Right. Yeah. And, and at the yeah. time, that felt like a huge, huge play because uh, Buffalo was struggling coming out of the gate. They, yeah. they couldn't get down the yeah. field. And um, I, I saw that. And the first thing I said is, I'm not going to pile on the kid, even though maybe he could have used a little bit better judgment decision-wise earlier. But I know what that wind can do to the football in that stadium. It can make it turn 90 degrees. 
I think I would tell the, you know, not to, not to field anything back then, unless you're absolutely sure. I, we went up there one year, got beat up there. Yeah. Um, and we were a better team, but we got in there and we had, I think three punts, 10, 12, and like 13 yards, Yeah, you know, into the wind. We just couldn't, you know, it was ridiculous. And, and you, you know, people watching the TV, they see that wind blown, but you have no idea how strong it's, it's just like a jet, backwash coming at you it's just unbelievable how strong yeah, that they wind have is. no idea mike uh, the bill's second to last possession i i question the decision to not go for go for it on fourth down they tried to kick the field goal and i believe they missed it and i i just felt like the way they were having trouble getting down the field on new england's defense and subsequently of course the next series New England's offense had the worst series of the night. They, I think they went three and out and gave Buffalo the ball back, so they got the ball anyway. But I just felt like take your shots at the end zone there, especially with the kickers having issues with the wind and so on and so forth. That's a, that's a hard decision to make as a coach, Ron. I think, um, I think you have to weigh two things. Number one, your ability to make the field goal. And number two, whether you make the third down, you know, whether you'll make it, you know, the on excuse me the fourth down the fourth down yeah you know if you'll succeed there or, you know it was close enough field goal wise where it, even though it was windy you'd think he'd make that you know so i i think it's probably a was a, a good decision as it turned out if had, had they made the field goal they'd have won the game because they yeah, got yeah. right back down there again anyway so yeah yeah now buffalo was coming into the game they were 11th in the nfl in red zone and i don't know if a lot of people realize this uh, the Patriots were three, number three in the NFL in the yeah. red zone. So they're pretty good red zone defense. And, and they showed it on the last, the very last uh, play that Buffalo had to go for it on fourth down. Here's something weird there. The first time all night, the Patriots decide to bring full blitz. Okay. Zero, <laughs> zero blitz, which is probably typical Bill Belichick. Yeah. But what surprised me is not one receiver tried to go inside with the Patriots having no one in the middle of the field. And the it two just, corners were so far outside and deep. That was mind boggling to me. Yeah. That's a play design. You know, usually when that happens, somebody has got to cite that or break it off and, and give the quarterback a quick shot because you, you're not going to block them all. You right. have to have an answer for that. And the fact that they've probably never showed that this season. Yeah. I, I bet you they didn't. And they damn sure didn't show it all game. No, and yeah. so I'm sure, but I think the thing that happened to Buffalo was they were getting pressured uh, all night long. He was always, you know, he'd get rid of the ball and get nailed, or he's trying to bail. They're trying to contain him and have him step up and not let him run. But yeah, he he got rattling in the red zone both times. I I I think that Ron before the blitz, he just bailed out of there too soon. Yeah. I really do. I, I think he did too. I think he panicked. Yeah. 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 They showed it and they did a good job on TV of showing that had he just stayed in there, you know, he had a touchdown. Yeah. He know, had a I guy think. coming uh, through in the middle there. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you're but right. he's been like that at times. He gets like that. He gets, he has so much confidence in his ability to run the ball. Sometimes I think maybe he felt more comfortable about the ability to break and, and get the first down with those legs and stuff than yeah. throw it. So, Mike, I probably already know the answer to this. Who's calling the defenses? Is it, Belichick, the dad or the son? The son calls it, I'm sure. I, I think he listens and have his input, but Bill's really good about all that. 
Um, if he's if he is not capable of calling, he won't. He wouldn't hire him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wouldn't put him in a situation. I know Bill's um, been away from defense and offense. He manages both sides of the ball. He listens in on both sides, and at least you know back in when we played him in 01, he was like that. So yeah. uh, I think he obviously makes adjustments and tells him the adjustments and what he wants. But and maybe he said, "Hey, listen, go after him with eleven or whatever, you know, yeah. or an all out." So. Yeah. But I'm sure that uh, he doesn't meddle on a play-to-play basis. I think he does control the overall, yeah. you know, what they're doing. Yeah, the uh, the Bills players and coaches were a little salty after that game. Uh, Sean McDermott uh, told the press, hey, let's not give uh, more credit than we need to to Bill Belichick on this one. And uh, Jordan, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, I don't know if you've seen the press conference yet. No, After the game, you, you will see it. And, uh, you know, some, some reporter somewhere asked the question and, and it was, it was, you know, it was out of line, probably it was, it was in that area of, Hey, clearly he was trying to incite something, instigate something and, uh, Hyde and Poyer just kind of went after him up on the uh, podium there. It was, it was, what was the question? Do you remember? It's something about, uh, you know, do they feel like they're that they were an embarrassment to the NFL and across the the, the league for their performance tonight on Buffalo? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's what, what the question was. Yeah, it was is one of those just just dagger right in the in the heart. Knowing guys are sensitive, knowing guys are uptight and upset, and uh, it, it was it was it was poor. You, you just hate to see members of the media and I. I, we're members of the media, so to speak, and I hate to see people do stuff like that. So that was, and you, you'll see it, and and our, our your listeners, they're gonna, they they'll they'll hear it and see it. So it's just, it's not how wow. it works. So. No, that shouldn't shouldn't be a lot in the press room. No, no. So anyway, New England right riding high. Now they got a, a bye, and I know you always talk about that bye week, how it's tricky when teams are that game before. You know, the bye this week. is. I would where the way they're headed right now, the bye we couldn't be better for them. Yeah. They're on a roll, they're on a streak. They can uh I, I really think they'll pick up speed now going to the end of the season. I think this is gonna help them dramatically. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It just feels like they're uh they're on a roll, man. And hey, eventually the game goes back to how it started, I guess, running the football in it, and, and that's what happened last night. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these other games. Uh uh, the Rams in Arizona coming up this this week, and that's that's a Monday night game, and that's going to be big. The Rams, uh, if they if they don't win this game, that means they'll be doubled up by Arizona, and they'll have to fight from that point forward. I think just to get into the playoffs, no less talk about home field advantage. You know, this is, you're right. At this point of the season, uh, it's a do or die almost for the Rams. They've got to stop the skid, you know, they won last week against the Jaguars, of course, but they, they've got to do something here and win this game to stay in it. Uh, I think that the Cardinals will run the ball very effectively against them. They're, they do a great job running the ball anyway. Uh, they're probably one of the best overall teams next to uh, the Packers, you know, offense and defense-wise, and mm-hmm. New England. Those are three really well-rounded football teams. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right about that. So that's uh, that's going to be an interesting game. And uh, Dallas 
and the Washington football team. Now that's coming up Thursday. And so that'll, that'll be big. And I think big for both teams. Yeah. I'm really interested in that game. You know, Washington just does whatever it has to do to win. That's what they've been doing. And the quarterback, Heineke's uh, playing very well defensively. Of course they lost chase young, but they're, they're good on in the defensive front. Mm-hmm. They're good in the secondary. The safeties are real good players. Uh, hopefully they can stand in there and, and slug it out with them, but, and not give up the big place, which yep. Dallas will try to do, but, Dallas is just not going to be patient enough to run the ball and control it. They're just not going to do it. They're going to take their shots because that's what they do. Yeah. My mistake there, Mike, uh, Dallas and uh, Washington, they will play on Sunday. Uh, Pittsburgh and Minnesota will play this coming Thursday. And well, Minnesota, what a, what a punch to the gut. Now you give up the, uh, the first win to a team that <laughs> is struggling this year in the Detroit lions. So they're, they're not feeling real great. And it looks like Zimmer's on the hot seat. For sure now. Well, he kind of looks like he's on the hot seat. You know, when I watch him all season long, it just kind of way he just looks like a miserable. He looks like he's miserable, doesn't he? He just yeah, he just, yeah. just a lot going I've on. Never seen a like coach that. like that. He's just got a scowl on his face for 60 minutes, you know. But um, you know, they're they're a good football team too, and they've lost a bunch of games, you know, at the last minute and whatnot. It's just uh I don't know. They're down. They're really down, but they're a better football team than the Pittsburgh. They should beat Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they absolutely should. Yeah. And I just remembered going back to that Buffalo uh, uh, Patriots game, what the, the question was to Poyer and Hyde in the press conference. It was, are you embarrassed by the run defense tonight? Um, well, hey, well, they, they, obviously they're not proud of that, but gosh, it just, I don't know. Sometimes. It, yeah, that, that's so out of line. I don't know. But, yeah, you know, that's the way it, that's it, what it, it, it is. You, and you got to know that. You got to know you're going to get it. But gosh, man, come on. It's just anyways, uh, moving, moving forward now. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the rest of the games here. And San Francisco dropped one to Seattle. Some weird plays up there. Uh, they yeah. faked a punt scored on that. And you can yeah. see the energy, that old Seattle stadium energy was slowly starting to ramp up, which Pete Carroll and, and, and the Seahawks needed because they had nothing going up, up yeah. to this point in the season, really. It's just been a flat, uh, d- difficult season for them. And now San Francisco is going to go back to Cincinnati and take on the Bengals. And, and this is a big game. This might be a must-win for San Francisco. And Cincinnati needs to come back and get a win after that loss to the Chargers. You know, I think Cincinnati, if they can win this game – I think then obviously they'll be in the playoffs. I, I do. I think that they'll kind of overtake that division eventually. Um, but this, uh, this they have to have win this game against a good football team, which San Francisco is. So uh, we'll just see how that goes. I think that uh, the quarterback uh, needs to come back, bro, and have a big game against San Francisco. Is he going to be all right with that finger? Can he do that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the little finger, you know, the middle fingers, you know, these those two – you know, the forefinger and, and, you know, those, these three fingers are, you know, this is what really controls the ball. Little finger is just kind of off to the side and yeah. you can actually tape it to the other finger. Yeah. If you have to. Yeah. And little five cc's of, you know. <laughs> little JD. Little, little JD. Little yeah, Patron. Yeah. yeah. A few other things we can. Uh, yeah. So up, just, right. Yeah. Right. Just. You know, a little lidocaine in there and you're ready to go, <laughs> a little, buddy. A little this, a little Dr. Feelgood, as yeah. we say. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, so that AFC North division, Cincinnati is 
is in second place. Baltimore, even with the loss, and you know, it was more of Lamar Jackson kind of doing his thing. Although I looked at the tape, he didn't play as bad as I thought he did. Uh, you know, watching the game live and you go back and look at it, it's a little different. But Baltimore is in front at eight and four, and Cincinnati's right behind him at seven and five. So those two teams are are chugging away there at the uh, at the at the bit. North. Yeah, I think Cincinnati for the first time, mm-hmm. who who remembers, uh, has a great chance of overtaking that division. I really do. It's been a while, hasn't it? Right. It has, and in yeah. Baltimore, they're just not. They're just doing whatever they whatever it takes to win games. They, they've not dominated anybody. They've not come out and at least uh, lately. Yeah. And they're not running the ball nearly as effectively as they were a year ago. Yeah. The Raiders go into Kansas City. This is a big one because the Raiders are doing their, you know, their, uh, what do you call it? Their, uh, their split personality deal again, like they seem to do every year. Yeah. One week they're a great team. Next week they suck. Another week they're a great team. Next week they underachieve. So now, you know, time's running out here. They're going into Kansas City, and Kansas City has found their groove. They're, they're, they're moving now. Everything seems to be coming back in, into play. So who do you like in this one? I think, yeah, I think Kansas City is better than what they were. They're coming out of it. They're still not at the level they were a year ago. Um, Defensively, I just – I like the coordinator. I think he does a great job. But I just – they're not very good. They're just not very good on defense. And, you know, if you're patient with it, you know, and make him blitz you, you'll get some big plays. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I think if you come out and chunk him – is what we what I used to do all the time. If you can come out against a team that's not real good and get some chunks and force them to blitz you, then you get big plays in the passing game. Chunk plays, not, yeah, downfield big plays. Yeah, in the zone, you know, it's right. digs and things like that, and they'll get frustrated <laughs> and they'll come, you know, force them into a blitz kind of a deal. But right. I, you know, I think the Raiders can beat them up there. I really do. I just think that um, defensively, their defensive front is really good, and I think Kansas City will have a hard time with them. Darren Waller's a question mark. I don't think he's going to play. Um, I, I'm not. I don't think he's going to play, and that's big. Uh, if he doesn't, Waller is 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 if so in key to this offense. I mean, he's a tremendous talent. He is. Hill is a bigger key. <laughs> oh, on the other side, yeah. Well, yeah, Tyreek Hill. Yeah, right. he is really something else. He is. Yeah, um, yeah he's to me, he's as effective as a player as there is in the league. Period. You yeah, know, and, and keep in mind uh, when the Raiders beat Dallas, and I'm not stealing their shine but dallas didn't have cooper didn't have cd lamb they, they didn't have all of their stuff but hey as they say no excuses in this league you drop it you dropped it but that division afc west now is is starting to lock up you got kansas city eight and four chargers somehow mike one, one game in there, behind yeah. seven and five yeah. and and there's uh, las vegas at six and six along with denver and i so uh, yeah i just think that uh, the receivers have kind of disappeared Kansas city too. They've had a lot of drops yeah. Uh, other than Hill, but they've, they've dropped the ball a lot. They're just still not quite fully in sync. Like you'd think they would be yeah. the offensive line has been completely retooled. They're getting better, but a really, that's a really good Raider defensive front. Yeah. They yeah. are good up front. They're yeah. really good up front. The and if they can go to work on, yeah. they can create some problems for them. And I don't think Mahomes is completely playing the way he did a year ago yet anyway. So yeah, He's lost some of the discipline of what they do. And if he'll get back to that, of course, he'll get back in the group. But um, I wouldn't say that that's a, an automatic for Kansas City. I think it's going to be a close game up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Buffalo going to Tampa Bay. This could be very interesting because Buffalo now, after the loss, an emotional loss, obviously, 
they they need to pull themselves together and head down south and 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 not let that nice weather affect them. And remember, they're going up against the man. And uh, this is this is this is going to be a big one. They need this win. Well, you know, here's the deal: you you have a tough loss at home on Monday night. Then you got to pack up and go down and play on the road yeah. against one of the best teams in the league. That's a tough, tough duty. Deal. That's hard to do. So, yeah. I think though it's the kind of game that that Buffalo likes to play yeah. where it's a pass-a-thon where they can just let him throw it, you know, and I think that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> the weekend path pass-a-thon. That, that's, uh, that's good. Uh, oh, it's going to be quarterback against quarterback. That's yeah. what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, the NFC South Tampa Bay can wrap things up. I'm, I believe with a win and if they, yeah, they can wrap it up with a win at nine and three. So there's no other competition coming out of there. Green Bay at nine and three. Also, Mike, a quiet nine and three. Kind of, would you say that? No, you know, I've, you know, I've said about Green Bay all year long, even when they lost the opener. So ugly. Yeah. This is, I think it's the best Green Bay team I've seen for many years. I think you're right. They've got both running backs. The receivers are all healthy. They got four good ones. Yeah. Uh, And you know, they're defensively, what are they at top eight, 17, somewhere in that in the league? They're good on defense. Yeah. And he's ridiculous. There's nobody can throw the ball as accurately as he is in the history of the league. I'm just gonna say that. Not Tom Brady, not anybody can do can make the throws that he can make. He's yeah. just ridiculous. So yeah, that guy's pretty good. <laughs> Green Bay has been my pick to win it all since the beginning of the year, and and I haven't changed that yet. So well, who knows? Maybe it'll be Tampa against uh, New England in the Super Bowl. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I know. That's where this thing is headed. You know that. Well, you know the media wants that. You know, that that yeah. would just – that would be, you know, the all-time Super Bowl kind of a deal. Yeah, there. since it looks like – and, I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to put dirt on anyone yet because anything can happen. But, you know, the favorite in the beginning of the season when the Rams beat the Buccaneers was, oh, yeah, the Rams are going to do exactly what the Buccaneers did, blah, blah, blah. It's that easy. No, it's not that, that easy. So, hey, Mike, let me tell you, uh, talk to you about this trend here that I'm seeing, and I, I'm sure you've noticed it too. Seems like a lot more six-man offensive line packages on the field. Buffalo ran one. Uh, no, I'm sorry. New England ran one last night. They brought in six offensive linemen. They overloaded mm-hmm. the right side, and they ran left, and it was a play that the kid gashed for the big touchdown early in the game. Mm-hmm. So is that, that's, I'm just noticing more of that. You know, it depends on the tight end that you have. And when you're going to run the ball or if you need him in protection, we did, we put him in for both. We, we put an extra tackle in there as a tight end Yeah. Uh, for protection purposes. You know, if we were against a really, right. Really, or we could double them, you know, and then right. have the back chip on the other side or in the running game, you know, if here's what happens, here's the mismatch. You know, all those all those pass rushers are light in the rear rear end kind of guys. You know, I that's mean they're true. yeah, that's right. You know, they're in the 250 to 270 pound range, you know, they're lean guys. And but what they don't do is when you run at them, they're just not very good at it. Yeah. And so what yeah. you do, you put the big guy in there and you made him play football, so to speak. And then when you put him in there, a lot of times they'll shift the backers over a gap. You know what I mean? That's kind of what happened. Uh-huh. And they they brought the strength down to that side. They ran away from strength, and then they had two backers run right there to make the play. Yeah, and they overran it. 
Yeah, that's right. But see, when you don't, when that's it's right. gotten to be such a passing game, when you don't fit the run and practice in walkthroughs and seven and nine on seven sessions, you know, these linebackers, when you run at them all the time, they're just not used to seeing that. Yeah, everything and because everything's a stretch zone or inside zone and all that, but the leads that you just don't see that guys getting cut off like that, and they just couldn't get off blocks. I was amazed that the defensive line Buffalo just could not get off blocks. And you could tell the first thing that the Patriots talked about last Monday morning was we are going to physically abuse them in the offensive line, because I could tell how offensive linemen were, were going second level and then pushing guys late hands and face, a lot of pushing and shoving after the play, you know, that they've been told, Hey, we're, we're going to make this a fist fight. They completely undressed them. And then yep. they just stayed at it. Yeah. Yeah. Because they just had, they had a great confidence that they would get after the quarterback defensively. And, you know, of course, Buffalo couldn't protect him. They just no. couldn't do it. No, that was fair pressure. That's right. That's right. That was a Harris kid uh, with 111 yards on the night on 10, on only 10 carries. He had the fifth, the 64 yarder. That was a big one. I'm right. alluding to there, you know, off of that, that heavy package, but my gosh, Stevenson with 78 yards, Bolden 28. They just, anyone they put in and it looks like they ran. I saw trap. I saw zone read. And uh, maybe one or two stretch plays and, and some straight power. They, they ran a, a toss stretch and they ran what we call a macho, which is a two back power. Uh, what do you call that? Macho? Back, macho. Single back is macho where, yeah. you know, the backside guard pulls and it's a double team at the front. And normally there's a kickoff, but with a single back, there's no, but if you have a wing there, he, he takes a place of the fullback. They ran a lot of that. Yeah. They ran a lot of the macho and then the the toss, what we used to call quick toss week, where they toss it, but it's really a lead. It's a toss lead is what it amounts to. And yeah. they cracked him and they basically ran that trap. They must have ran that six times. Yeah. yeah. And then they finally the 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 backside shade on the center finally arm did an arm over and made the tackle on it. And yeah, man, you'd think that they would fit that eventually and the backers would come in and blow that thing up, but they didn't. Yeah. The Patriots use the Colts blueprint, not that they needed to find one, but they use their blueprint, so to speak against the bills. And that's proof that if you ever have trouble with something because of the way film circulates in this business, you will you see it you again. Stop it. Yeah. You got to prove you can stop it. Yeah. You know, there's no question about it. To me, one of the things that you look at from analytics is if a team is where they're ranked against the rush, you know, and, and how many guys they have in the top, whatever, in sacks and all that, if, if they're built to rush a passer, you, we're going to rush the football. We just are, you're just mm-hmm. going to run the football. Yeah. And yeah. stay in there and suck it out and make them play football. Cause normally they just don't fit the run very good. The other thing is, you go into one balance and that completely changes. They have to shift over one there. You have the safety down to the wrong side. Now you run to the tackle and that's, you know, that's a, that's tough. So there's so many neat ways of screwing them around with the uh, formations to run the football. And they did a good job of that. I, I really, they, New England just outcoached him really. I, you know, we always hated unbalanced line. We used to call it hamburger for some reason. I, I don't know why, but, it was just it would that and two tight ends. Two, you want to screw up a defense fast? 
Go two tight ends and then throw some unbalanced lineup. I guarantee you'll have a bust within the first See, we 10 would, plays. We would have at least five or six of each of those in every game, and we would run them. Right. So, in yeah. other words, if if you were a blitzing team, you're going to see an imbalance right away. So how would you line up with that all 11 against a, an unbalanced line kind of a deal, right? Well, they're, right. They're like – you know, they start pointing, and by the time they get done pointing, you snap the ball and off you go. And, Mike, they were pointing in the fourth quarter. And if you're pointing hey, in so the fourth stupid. quarter, you're done. You know was, I mean? You're done. You're and it, it was just a basic front. It was – they didn't – there was no weird set or anything. The, the linebackers were trying to talk about – it was a it was a key fourth and one. You know, it, was, yeah. it ended up getting gashed on it. So And, you know, Leslie Frazier is the Bills defensive coordinator. Very good coordinator. Very good he coach. Is. His name has been circulated for head coach many times. I, I, I thought he would have gone to eight man and nine man. And I think he did it later right. on and said, okay, I'm going to make you beat me throwing in this win. And it, and See, it I, never that was, got to I, it. That was the question I had. I watched the game. I'm glad you said that. I've gone into a five down look, you know, cover five, the five down linemen. Yeah, five cover line, the yeah. guards yeah. and cover the center. So it's the old, basically, it's, you know, it's the old Buddy Ryan defense, right? The bear, bear defense. The bear look, yeah. You get into a bear defense and say, if you can rush the ball against this, you're good. <laughs> you know. And, and they never Nobody do. runs the ball against a bear defense. You know, he's just. <sighs> when you sit down and chart the runs that you could, there's always a guy free on that front. They always got one more and you can block. Did he think that. Belichick was setting him up and he wasn't going to fall for it. He was going to still do what. Well, I don't think he, I don't, I don't really believe that he felt like they would do that coming into the game, be that patient, run the ball. I didn't, I, I don't know if anybody expected that. So I don't even know if they have that in their repertoire, but you, you certainly, they have a double reduction in there where you can bring, we cover the guards in the center and not let those guards pull. Yeah. And there, his answer to it was as soon as the guard pulls, let the linebacker run through and chase it. And that was effective. That yeah. got him in the fourth quarter. That stopped him. Yeah. That's how they stopped all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. That was a nice adjustment. They just got 58 up in there and he made three plays in a row doing that. In essence, it became a run blitz on the, it on was. the move, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. 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 Read it on the move and, and yeah. just go. As soon as he pulls you, chase and go get the back and you got him. Mike, here we go, man. It started. But that was the fourth quarter before they did it. Before they did it. That was like yeah. 200 rushing yards. But it gave him another chance to score. You know, that's how they stopped oh. him, you know? Hey, man, here we go. This is going to be fun. So stay tuned. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz, and we'd like to send out a special thank you to Mr. David Baker, former Pro Football Hall of Fame president and executive director for joining us right here on Run It Again. Like what you're hearing on Run It Again? Well, let us know by leaving us a review on Apple. Be sure to join us next Tuesday for a new episode as we break down the NFL playoff picture. Don't forget to visit us at runitagainpodcast.com and be sure and hit that good old subscribe button. Remember, we're just two old pros trying to make you think a little. So long, everybody. Run It Again with Ron Pitts and Coach Mike Martz is a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ed Maloney, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching at Run It Again Podcast.